Hey, everybody. This show is brought to you by OGRacing.com. Check out our buddies over at OG Racing if you're looking for uh, anything from helmets to suits to uh, all the safety gear that you need for your car and for yourself to get uh, on track safely this season. Uh, Johnny from uh, OG has been on the show a bunch of times, good friend of the show, and a NASA TT racer. Uh, he's just one of the many staff, uh, super helpful people over there at OG, and we really appreciate them uh, supporting the show. So check them out at ogracing.com. Uh, any questions at all about, uh, about anything they sell or anything that they uh, recommend, give them a call. Uh, 1-800-934-9112 and free shipping on orders over $100. So check out ogracing.com, 800-934-9112. Show's also brought to you by uh, Gridlife. Check out uh, the uh, the May five event we have coming up. Go to grid.life, scroll down, and go to uh, May five the uh, the shakedown event up at Road America. Our first time there. Uh, we had a really really good kickoff event of the year at uh, Mid Ohio last weekend, and super uh, super well attended. Really really fun. A lot of uh, a lot of good competitive racing. Check out uh, the, the website, grid.life, and you'll see all the info about our uh, May 5 event. Registration is uh, $270 prior to April 1, 285 post-April 1, and uh, it is in conjunction with our World Racing League. They'll have a session also on track, and uh, they'll be doing checkout rides to see if, uh, if you're eligible for a World Racing League license. So... If you intend to race with them, check that out. Um, and mainly, it is a uh, intermediate and advanced tra- track day only. No beginners. Um, and uh, so, if you're looking for good, good quality track time, uh, go, uh, go sign up. We'd love to have you guys out there. Uh, May five, Friday. Really reasonable price for Road America for a day. So, hope you guys can join us. And uh, on with the show. Slipangle Show. I'm Austin Cabot. I'm Adam Jabay. And we are at Mid-Ohio. We are. For Track Battle Round 1. Good it's, life. It's my favorite track to drive on. It's a little hard to host an event here today. They didn't yeah, have internet. I mean, and it's our, and our first time here. didn't work. We didn't know where Grid was because they wouldn't let us use False Grid. I didn't even know where the classroom was. <sighs> they didn't give us a classroom because they had it for something else. It's been frustrating, but it's been okay. It's okay. Track was awesome. I'll give them one thing. The workers on track and like the safety crew... Uh, pretty pro. They did a great They're job. professionals, man. Yeah, they were similar Especially to Especially this early in the season. Like, they yeah. are on their game. Yes, they were similar to Atlanta. We're talking, like, 30-second poles. Like, they got trucks in different spots. Like, that makes me happy. Yeah. A few cars found the wall, but I think everything's still rolling. I think it was only so. two, two maybe? Yeah, one light two, tap, maybe and three? then that Mustang from Atlanta kind of yeah. like, whoop. Oops. Whole side of it. Oops. Big three-inch toe in. But uh, overall, pretty good day so far. Yeah. Uh, we had to end early because NASCAR was doing safety testing and training and stuff. So I thought they were going to be doing actual like NASCAR testing. Is that what I was under the impression. More of. awesome. Yeah, there'd be like loud NASCARs There's going by in like the back. Fifty people in red suits walking around. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> it's not cool at all. Somebody should go up to them and like run away from them and go. The red coats are coming. The red coats are coming. It'd be kind of funny. It's pretty nerdy, dude. Uh, whatever. <laughs> pretty inside so. nerdy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we actually we have a, a local with us yes, right now. And we've mentioned him on the show a few times. He's uh, somebody that's raced against like friends of ours. Us. I technically raced against you at VIR. I think that's true. Yeah. Thirteen hour. Yeah, we've got um, uh, Mr. Jeremy Lucas on the show, who yep. we've been trying to record with probably for the last year. 
Like on and off. We're like, hey, you want to do a show? Yeah. Oh, happen. sure. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you guys want. Um, I keep getting messages when people who listen to your show on time yeah. hear me. Yeah. But like, I, I listen to them like, you know, a month later or whatever, because I'll do, you know, a month's worth and at an odd time and I'll run out and then I'll forget for a month and mm-hmm. then go back and listen to a month's worth driving into work in the morning. Well, we apologize about that uh, because it's just un- unbelievable levels of mediocrity. But um, <laughs> We appreciate your support. No problem. <laughs> so, I, I, first time I ever met you was on the phone when I bought an AIM Solo from you. That's right. Because you have a, a little company that is, what, Fast Tech Limited? Fast Tech Limited. Yeah. Is that you? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. I have a couple people that work with me okay. for like different areas of the country. Like uh, Whether you know it or not, the Greg and me oh, really? um, is PGA, kind of my, yeah. my East Coast representative. So if somebody needs help with uh, data coaching out in that area, in the Northeast area, Greg is my go-to guy to mm-hmm. send them to. And then uh, I have a guy out in St. Louis. Uh, his name is Dave Jones. It's uh, Good Times with Dave is his uh, his uh, website, and he does uh, track setup. <laughs> he does track setup work as well as data coaching. Okay. So kind of you know. Does he do birthday cover. parties? Because that's I a don't cool, think so. That's a cool name for a website. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's he's done a lot of uh, you know um, runoffs level prep for people. Okay. And uh, Dave's a good guy. He's really good with suspensions. Okay. Um, where I'm not so great with suspension work because yeah. I grew into racing just doing non-adjustable. Like my first race car was a Shroom stock car. Oh, cool! And yeah. literally, all you can adjust is tire pressure. Yeah. So you have you know normal tire pressure up front, 45 psi in the back. Yeah. You know whatever whatever it takes to make Must that have thing. Must front wheel drive car. I think of the, course. Only, the only other thing you could adjust is the million little cheats that those crazy Shroom stock guys found over the that, many that years. That never yeah. happens. I don't know where you <laughs> heard never, these stories never, from. Never ever. There's so many stories. You know, it, it just happens to be cars. that, you know, cars have damage from curbs. Yeah. You know, that just happens. Wow, got like over, three degrees of camber yeah. over yeah. the life from of a car. Damage. Man, that looks like a stock knuckle to me, but <laughs> <laughs> there's so many stories of people just It just requires an OEM part. That's, that's all it says, OEM. Yeah. And if it's OEM and also crashed into curbs to bend. You know, actually, though, they did have, um, there were camber specs. Yeah. Really? Yeah, just some of the uh, I think some of the manufacturers were a little bit more creative oh, okay. about the numbers they published. Okay. In so terms it had of, to be within a, a right, range. Right. So but then like I I I never saw this personally, but I've heard stories of um manufacturers publishing like service bulletins saying that, you know, post crash cars this Can was be. an acceptable range. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's how Somebody you go knew from a guy, huh? That's how you that's how you go from a you know a car where it says, you know, max camber is yeah. one one degree. Yeah. And all of a sudden two and a half is okay. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the neon's winning everything. That's right. Whatever. <laughs> They're that's, in cahoots, man. Yeah. If, They're yeah, all in cahoots. You, you just got another right guy at the manufacturer, huh? So now meanwhile, like after cars have gotten wrecked, the body shops are like, Oh, two and a half degrees of camber, okay. Yeah, so there's, there's all these like normal stock cars rolling around. Yeah, that that's two and a half degrees of camber. That actually happened because of stupid showroom stuff. <laughs> Probably. Uh, well, how did you get into into wheel to wheel stuff? Um, well, I was kind of a motorcycle guy originally. Okay. Oh, really? And I was helping um, a race team um, work on their bike stuff, and that's how I I didn't grow up doing mechanical stuff. My dad was not mechanical. He didn't work on his own cars. He had some nice cars when I was a kid, and um, but I never we never did anything. Like it was take it to the shop and they fix it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until I got into bikes and working with the race team that I actually started doing mechanical stuff. And that's why I got into it in the first place is because I just liked working on stuff. I found that I liked it, but I found that I was not cut out to be a motorcycle racer. So, uh, four wheels beckoned for racing. Yeah. You and wanted to have things. Yes. Around you. Yes. Uh, and that's so why I started racing cars. How far did you get with doing track days and motorcycle stuff? Um, I probably did about a half dozen track days and motorcycle mm-hmm. stuff. 
I used to ride uh, fairly frequently. Um, before I started racing, we would probably go out every other weekend. Okay. And here in Southeast Ohio, there's a lot of good riding, which is about two hours from Columbus to get to the good roads. So we would literally meet somewhere for breakfast, a group of us, ride Southeast till lunch, find somewhere to eat lunch, and ride back a different way. And that's the kind of riding I used to do. Okay. I didn't commute on bikes. I didn't go to the store on bikes. You know, didn't like go to work on bikes. weekend touring rides. And... Weekend stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We used to do about 10,000 miles oh, a wow. season. What were you riding? Uh, I've had several, but my favorite would have to be the VFR 750. Okay. Yeah, I had a, a VFR 800. And yeah. those things, just the, the Early V4s. Or late, did you have the gear-driven cams? It was a 2000. Cams? So then you still had the gear-driven cams. Yep. Yeah, the gear-driven cams. No VTEC. That, that is the best amazing. thing ever. That's it's got VTEC bikes that rule. Yeah, the VTEC 2002. Yeah. First year. I think the VFR 800 was the first bike with VTEC. But I think when they went to VTEC, they lost the gear driven cams, right? Yeah. It went to a yeah. belt. It went to belt. But the, the unique sound of the gear driven cams on the V4. Does it sound oh, it kind of like a whining awesome. supercharger or something? Or? No. A little bit. Yeah. Um, There's a little bit of a whine to it. Not, with an not exhaust, high pitch, though. Yeah. With an exhaust, though, the V4 is just sounds so amazing. It does. V4? Yeah. I like, I literally don't know anything about it's bikes. It's a V4. It was kind of like the best of everything. Like, V-twins tend to be yeah. really torquey, but kind of slow to rev, where the V4 didn't have that problem. And then also had a really unique sound to it. Yeah. Really flexible motor. Interesting. It's just a great bike. Single-sided swing arm, which was way cool back in the 90, I think it was a 97 or something like yeah. that. Mm. But yeah. yeah. That would have been the last year for the 750, because 98, they went to the the 800. I sold my last bike when I did like less than 200 miles in one year it's like oh man <laughs> you see you don't have bikes anymore yeah I, I still have my gear i was like you know maybe someday i'll get another one but yeah my uh my replacement for motorcycles has been convertibles okay oh cool what well, that's, you, it's funny that's how the s2000 was like written up in some yeah. magazines it was a four-year or a four-wheel motorcycle yeah so I remember, it was, I remember it was interesting some of those uh, yeah. some of those articles when they came out in like yeah. 2001 or whatever <laughs> uh how many cars do you have you have a bunch of street cars and stuff uh right? um Kind of a, uh, a car collector of yeah, sorts now. Huh? I always have to think twice, make sure I, I'm, I think it's seven. My wife has a new Civic streetcar. I have an old BMW wagon, winter beater, dog transporter car. It's not old, man. It's 2001. That's an E46. That's, it's still very the modern. thing I own well, except my work truck. <laughs> well, exactly. But everything else is pretty much older. So um, uh, a uh, 944 S2. Mm-hmm. Okay. A um, mid '80s um, BMW 535. It's this one's actually kind of special because it's a M535 IS, Uh-oh. and it's a Euro import. Okay. So it's um, back in the '80s, they had so many cool Euro imports. It's got yeah. the center exit exhaust, right? Yep, center exit yeah, exhaust. Yeah, those things are rad. So that's what, kind of the uh, what motors in those? The uh, Euro it's a, it's a 3.5 uh, liter straight six. Yeah. It's, like a, it's real torquey. Yeah. You saw the one that's competing in Time Attack, right? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, the thing sounds so great. Yeah, it's uh, it's really Charlie cool. Charlie Insulin's. Yeah. It's so cool. The Hard Times <laughs> one. I, it's got a swapped motor. I forget what motor it had. It's a bigger I don't know. motor, I think. Yeah. Charlie listens to the show, and he'll probably send me a Facebook message as soon as we publish this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, once I started racing cars um, for the street, um, new cars kind of got really boring. Yeah. yeah. Um, because basically I have this like theory on cars that you either have to have, uh, for a street car, you need a car you can just like flog like 110% mm-hmm. or you need something that has power on demand oversteer. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I can see that. Yeah. Anything between 150 horsepower and 400 horsepower, you just kind of meh. Yeah. So you want sub 150 or 
over one over four hundred. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I used to have a Cor, uh, Corvette Z06 streetcar. Okay. It was actually I used to do a lot of instructing with it. Yeah. And you know that car, power on demand oversteer. You could yeah. always put a smile on your face. But like you know when I had an S two thousand, it's a fast car, right? But to have fun on the street. You have to just be going so far. So, yeah, you got to push Whereas, it Whereas, like, now I'm back to a Miata again for my convertible. And, you know, best setup ever is my 185 snow tires. Really? Just I, just enough, huh? Oh, it's you just enough, just enough, and you can yeah. get the car to rotate. You know, you can actually get when you, you know, what, 105 wheel horsepower, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. right? It's an NA. So, yeah, we can actually get some rotation out of the car yeah. just from that power with that kind of tire. But yeah. people put, like, you know, big, huge, sticky tires. That's fine if you want to go fast. But if you want to have fun on the street, for me, the car's got to move around a it little bit. seems like you have a pretty cool commute. You post some pictures on Facebook of like Yeah, it's like backcountry roads. It's all back roads, like, yeah. Like around here, right, kind of? Yeah, it's basically the same. Like what you have to do to get from the highway to here, yeah. it's the same kind of we roads. We found this cool road in the middle of the night last night with Abram, yeah. our tech inspector. Down by the, like, literally literally down like, by the river. This is, this is awesome. I need to come back here yeah. in the middle of the day. <laughs> but yeah, that's I, uh, I feel really lucky to have that kind of commute because... Yeah. I do not think I would do well with my wife's commute. She commutes downtown or Just straight her, down the highway. Her, her folks are out in California, she's out in LA a lot. And uh, I, I think I would go postal with that kind of commute. I, I don't have any kind of cool commute. I walk two blocks to my truck and then I slave away in a pickup truck driving around the city. It's terrible. It's, I would, I would love to cruise like from here to the hotel. Yeah. Like every day, if I could do that, find like one of five routes. Oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> that would be, that would sound that, like Mike Taylor now. That'd be so great. It's great for convertibles because you don't have to worry about trucks and yeah. people throwing you know rocks up in the air and come down hitting you on the head and stuff. That's true. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I had a friend get beamed once in the, with a rock in the forehead. I saw in the some what? I saw some kids throwing yeah. rocks onto the highway the other day in uh, Chicago, and I pulled over and I said, "You're going to kill someone." I'm calling the cops, and they ran away. Wow. But they were throwing rocks onto the highway off of an overpass. Jeez, like, how stupid is that? I didn't know that was a thing that happened. It you, blew you my see, mind. You see it on the news every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, people have been killed. Oh that. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I remember somebody got killed in the town next to mine. Somebody dropped a boulder onto him off the highway and killed, and it took out like three cars crashing. But we were yeah, talking highway commutes kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, we were talking yesterday about people doing that at, uh, at some of the Hyperfest events. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. At some point, there was there were stories of people throwing beer like drunk, bottles, drunk and stuff. patrons. I, I was yeah. there. Um, the the year that uh, Todd went up into the trees. Yeah, Todd, I, I have the trans that. Uh, Xavier Caldone yep. like rolled a million times with, yep. and the front mount's all broken off. <laughs> That's the case I have going to my next car. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I bought the trans. Yeah, nice. I, I bought I, the trans at the VAR 13 hour. I met you in person at. Yep, I uh, I like that track layout. Um, although I don't think it's so safe to go off track. Yeah. No, seems like every car that goes off there Just rolls or bad problems. It's there. a tree. Or yeah. I've never been to that track. I've watched a bunch of in car video. We were talking about the, the layout's other day. fun. It looks ridiculous. It does fun. look yeah, like Abram, a fun track. The layout is it really was, fun. Somebody, it wasn't Abram showing us video, it was somebody else. Um, I forget who. Yeah, just the other day. But, but yeah, accidents tend to be mm. really bad. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that place is very forgiving. Yeah. No. Uh, kind of Road Atlanta esque as far as if you go off, there's a 50 50 chance something's happening. But Yeah, but you usually don't roll when you go off at Road Atlanta. No, you just slide into something hard. Yeah. yeah I, um, I've been there, done that. Real hard. <laughs> you race long enough, you're going to find a wall at Road you, Atlanta. Which, uh, which wall have you found there? Um... Have you listened to the the one with uh, Bowie Gray where he basically <laughs> crashed at every turn? That's a good show. Yeah, Crashing that's from Good Life last year. It's <laughs> a good show. I probably have heard. I just can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, Bowie, Bowie crashed like seven cars there. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that's where I met him. I met him at Road Atlanta. So I always ask him for any type of advice for Road Atlanta or to refresh my memory. Or yeah, where, where have you hit there? Um, I think it was the outside of three. Okay. 
The yeah. right-hander? Yeah, 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 by the top of the house. I was, I was tucked up behind a 944 and went over the curb with him. Yeah. And I couldn't see the curb before I went over, and it, and it hooked the rear tire. Mm. Oh, okay. And you hit me, it wrong. And... Hook, yeah, it, just, it caught the rear tire and hooked me right in. Yeah. It was in the Specky 30. Okay. okay. The same car you still have? Yep. Yeah, so right now we you... had to do a little, uh, you know, tow vehicle uh, front bumper pull action. Yeah, tied to something. Are you ready? Or... Yeah, I think we used um, somebody else's truck, so it was like yeah. between two trucks. <laughs> Like the well, you are in Georgia. That's that's a Georgia frame machine at a yeah, collision shop. Drawing well, you know, order that thing, baby. The, uh, the Specky Thirty guys down in the southeast. There's a huge group These of guys. Them. Are great, and if yeah, you, they really are. I, that... I didn't I didn't realize at first, but I broke the trans mounts. Okay, really. And luckily, you know, oh, somebody else, another Specky Thirty guy, had yeah. the parts, offered them up, kept racing. The the only the only time I've raced there with NASA was, and there was like a ton of Specky Thirties and PTD cars and stuff, like all E Thirties. Yeah, I must have been ten or fifteen of them in the group, I was, and they they were having a great time. They're all within like two seconds. Yeah, they're all fixing each other's cars. I've been racing for about eighteen years, and um, the Specky Thirty guys and the Honda Challenge guys yeah. have been the two most fun groups okay. to race with. And coincidentally, that's what I do now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've migrated away from doing the SEC Nationals, now called Majors, because yeah. um, you know you know people and you have a few friends. But it's not the same. It's pretty serious. You know what I mean? There's people, people really, yeah, it, really, in, really in trying nationals hard. Nationals majors, they get, yeah. they get serious business stuff. Just it's like, almost you know, not. Like, I had fun at the Road Atlanta majors, which is the only majors I've ever raced. Yeah. was last year. But, like, it's so, like the, the vibe was very serious. But you already knew a lot of people coming into That's it, too. The thing. Imagine I, you came into that and didn't know anybody. No, it'd be very unwelcoming. You, yeah. you wouldn't. No one would come and befriend you. Yeah. No, I. I and I'm not saying it's always we, that way. We, but, pad, we padded up on the shelf, you know, yeah. the inside, and yep. like we just had like ten of our buddies there. It was all right. road race autocross guys. But it's just um, not the same uh, environment. Yeah. It's it's and almost so, like semi pro level. Yeah. Lately, I have preferred the environment of the group in Specky Thirty and okay. Honda Challenge. Um, it's much more family like. Yep. You know, everybody paddocks together. Everybody eats dinner together. I'm planning on racing a couple together. of challenges uh, this summer. You, you better but... come to pit race. That's going to be a big one. That does look like fun. What yeah. is that? Uh, May sometime, I think. That I track can check looks the calendar. so great. I haven't run the new expanded track yet. Yeah, it looks so, so cool. So they just expanded it last year, is that and the I didn't same get a chance to go back. VIR? I don't I think, think so. It's the same owners. Really? I think it's the same. I heard group. it was some like. Uh, Pet store company people. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, they put a lot of money in that place. They did, yeah. But. I forget. Somebody told me what chain of pet stores. Some of them like Petco or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's one of those. Okay. I believe yeah, that bought it and dumped the money and get, finally got the second half of the track. Wonder if that guy's track. an animal on Trek. Oh, oh no, the fun start already. <laughs> I was wondering how long that was going to take. They got pretty bad last night. They did. We weren't they recording really them, bad. but it was bad. And <laughs> we did have some puns on the uh, on the show from the road. Yeah. You know, the one thing about uh, pit race before was like it's like a sub one a minute it lap was time. Beaver so, run too. That was right, what it was right. Called before. Yep. So, it was had, that small? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it was like sub one minute lap time. Oh wow, that's tiny. So, that's really tiny. Don't ever run an enduro on the short track. Yeah. Because you'll be tired for about thirty minutes. Just over and over and over. And because over it's over so over. short. Yeah. You can't really. It's like yeah, you just go nuts. Yeah. That. Uh, how big is it now? Do you know how big that track is now? I think it's I think like, it's almost three times as big. I was gonna say it's like four miles or something, right? Wow. Uh three something, I think. But okay. yeah, the the new track is I think almost twice as long as the old track. Yeah. And you put it all together and it's almost three times as long. My my brother who just walked into the R V here, um him and his wife I was wondering wife, who that stranger was. His wife went to college out right by Beaver Run when it was called Beaver Run. And he said there's a crazy toad to get into that place. Well, I don't, like it's it's a depends crazy if you steep try, road. Yeah, if you try and go the back way, there are some pretty okay. steep ones, and, and he's been the actual road to go in is pretty steep. Yeah, 
but, but he said people get like have problems climbing it. What's but. crazy is um, you need to get off the interstate mm-hmm. before you get to the exit, because like the last ten miles you get charged like fifteen bucks oh, on the toll road. Toll. Huh. So yeah, like as soon as so you get annoying. in Pennsylvania. You have to get off and just take, take the back, back road, roads, yeah. and it takes you like five minutes longer, yeah. and you avoid like the fifteen dollar. Because you have to charge you for every axle and yeah, we, we would have spent like even, seventy-five even just bucks. A, yeah, if we did total even here. just a car is expensive. Yeah, and then when you have a you know a truck and a trailer, yeah, it's really pricey. It really adds up per axle. Yep. Yeah. We we would have spent probably seventy five eighty bucks if we took the total tolls, road to here. Yeah, through Ohio, and I guess it's all tore up, and there's cops wanting to give you tickets for like looking weird. It's bad, I guess. Later, my dad took it the other day. But. The one thing I remember being really strange about um, Pit Race, at least the old track, and they've repaved it, so maybe it's different now, but it's the only track I've ever been to where the rain line mm-hmm. is exactly is the, same? the same as the really? dry line. Really? No change. The, I wonder the, if that's where the new pavement, too. It's not glossy or anything? No. Nope. Really? Huh. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, and you are, it's, it's, it probably has one of the best grip track in the wet that I've ever been on. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you think normally there's quite a bit of drop-off on times, like the, the top guys were running like, I don't know, like six seconds slower. Wow! In the rain, like full rain. Is That's it just that like porous? That's it really water be, like drains be. down it into must it. Be. Is it hard on tires or no? Or was no, it? only the last turn. Yeah. Because the last turn is this big, long, sweeping uphill left after the fast straight. So yeah, you tend to really plow into it pretty fast, and can really overwork that outside tire. But okay. um, I'm surprised the track had the same rain line. I've never. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never. Seen that I've never been on a track where the rain Autobahn is like totally different rain line yeah because it pools and it's glossy and polished because people are on it every day all day yeah, yeah that's kind of more the typical situation so, so what do you race now and uh, you said you raced 18 years um you went from what showroom stock kind from of showroom stock to, to scca touring uh, i did a little improved touring who are you running in those classes what cars uh touring was s2000 okay um back one. back in the uh, early days of uh touring for the s2000 i was actually involved with scca back then and helped get touring three created as a class oh really yeah because back then it was only touring one and touring two okay and so i was part of the group of people that helped work on the rules to help it was like s2000 z3s rx8s that went into t3 yeah and t3 right yeah okay because they they were lumped in with t2 and it wasn't really um I want to say they weren't competitive, but it was definitely like there was kind of like an A and a B group within T2. And then, you know, like new cars would come out with more power and they would put them in T2. And like the, the scope of T2 just kept creeping up. Whereas like, you know, an S2000 and an RX-8 yeah. were the same car from beginning to end. Yeah. They weren't changing. So they really needed to be in, you know, now it's T1, 2, 3, and 4. Right. So they've kind of migrated over the years to that. But Remember, because at the time, you know, I just bought my S2000, so I was looking at, you know... Yep classes that you could prep it to race in well and i'd seen t3 and i watched some videos from t3 and it looked like the racing was so tight i saw a couple starts and like the first like couple laps it was really yep. close and uh, actually back in that time frame is when um we worked with nasa to get the s2000 oh, into, into h2 into h2 yeah so basically at that time when that first started it was a complete crossover car yeah, same so, weight, same trim, shocks, same yeah, everything. everything. So the rules were the same, whether you raced the S two thousand in Touring three, or whether you raced it in H uh, two, and that was kind of the the idea. Is there was a bunch of cars racing in T three to get them to come over and race in Honda Challenge H two. Okay, and it worked really well. I mean, the car still is competitive in H two. Um, it does. Um, there are cars that uh, 
are faster. So, but the S two thousand kind of is um, consistent all the way through a stint. Basically, you're running the same lap time at the beginning of the stint as you are at the end of the stint. Huh. So, usually a couple like the Integras and stuff they'll run away, and it's just a matter of keeping on it to catch them at the end. So, for the S two thousand, what are the prep differences now between you know? Well, I guess T three doesn't really. Well, between T three and um, T two. I, I honestly don't know the T2 rules today. Okay. They change all okay. the time. Yeah, they, they've changed quite a bit. And I've basically been out of racing uh, SCCA Touring for probably about five or six years now. Okay. Back then, it was SCCA Majors didn't exist. It was SCCA Nationals. So now it's called Majors Program, mm-hmm. which Adam knows all about. It's a little different. But I think now, like, um, back then, you had to run Stock Springs. So we were running the Stock CR You Springs. run the S, yeah, the, the CR, I was yeah. going to say. CR so, Springs and um, shocks were open though, right? I shocks, know a lot of guys shocks, were running like TTXs on the, the high dollar builds. Yeah, I, I saw a lot, so of, weird, but crazy a lot of different things. Yeah. I saw a lot of guys um, getting themselves in trouble with adjustable suspension because they, they didn't know, know what they it. were doing yeah. or didn't have the crew. Um, I did run doubles one year and I found that to really do it effectively, you need a crew guy to be able to come in during qualifying make or during practice, yeah. make an adjustment and go right back out. Mm-hmm. Because trying to make adjustments between sessions, the track would change or other things would change, mm-hmm. and it was really hard to get them dialed in. But man, when you got some good doubles on there, can you make the car behave wildly different? I believe that. You can just, you know, the front end's pushing, skating, whatever. You can just change all that behavior, and it was, um, it was really impressive. But I, I think to make make the most of it, you need a crew guy. Yeah. To make those changes, you know, mid session, so you yeah. can dial it in. So how'd you go from like T three up to Specky thirty? Um, well, um, yeah, Specky thirty is a very minimal prep class. It is. Um, I um, at that time I was doing a lot of instructing with the Z06, and it got to the point where um, I didn't want to be going 145 miles an hour down the back straight in Ohio without a cage. Yeah, you'd be going fast there. So you know, I'd seen enough incidents and whatnot at that point to know that it didn't really have to be your fault to have something go wrong, mm-hmm. and. Um, I wanted to get something that was caged, and I was actually looking at a Spec Miata um, to convert from using the, the uh, Z06 into a caged car. Okay. Um, and I had a couple buddies at that time, um, Kyle and Sean, who were also instructing with me. They had Integra Type R's, mm-hmm. and uh, they were thinking about going racing. And so I said, "Well, I'm going to buy a caged car, guys. Do you want to you want to make the leap or whatnot?" So yeah, we actually so started off. Thing, huh? We actually started off in that car together. Okay. Okay. The three of us split it at first. Probably a good way to do the it. The same yeah. car you well, have now. The same car we have now. Oh. But it's it's just me now. Um, so here's the reason why we ended up in Specky Thirty. Sean is six foot four on a uh, on a on a slow a low day, right? And, and Kyle's <laughs> gravity is extra high. <laughs> I don't I don't know what Kyle is. Maybe maybe five nine, and I'm six foot, right? So we yeah. had to pretty wide range of drivers yeah, four and that each. wasn't going to work for a spec miata right um you can be a six foot four guy and make a spec miata work for you but it isn't going to work for anybody else mm-hmm. you have to you know build the seat directly to the floor maybe lower the floor yep. that kind of stuff so we needed a car that was um had some adjustability to it and could fit all of us and we all kind of had bmw street cars and like bmws and we liked the idea of a spec class because um none of us were you know very budgeted to want to yeah. Spend a lot of money on all the latest go fast parts. What year? What year was this? You guys got that car? I think it was about six years ago. Okay. Yep. And um, we so Spec E thirty was already a pretty large class. It was pretty established. Yeah, yeah. that's um, about a ten year old class now. I, I don't know uh, when it started. Six yeah. years ago, that's when Mike Skeen was still racing. Yep. yep. My, I've yeah. raced with Mike here in Mid Ohio. Um, 
so that car was kind of something that could fit us all. And we just kind of started talking about it and watching the for sale ads and stuff. And um, this one ad popped up, and the car looked really good. And there's a cage builder here in Ohio that a lot of people know. His name is Mark McMahon. Um, roll cage dude? Yeah. Or roll cage guy.com guy? or yeah. something like that. Yeah. All he does is roll cages. Beautiful mm-hmm. work. And not only does he do beautiful work, he is one of the most affordable cage guys. Yeah. If you look at one of his cages that's, say, like a $2,600 basic cage, I think that's about where where they are now. You go to anywhere else, that's a $3,600 cage easy. Yeah. He did, uh, so Rob, fast, I, I think know. he did Rob Oxford's so cage he, in his that's all he does. Yeah. He's just really good at it. He doesn't do other stuff. He doesn't work on cars. Yeah. Just cages. He's got it down. He's got a method. Yeah. He's got an inexpensive shop that he works at. It's out of a basement of like a printing house. Yeah. That's when you're like, you're like, where am I going? Like it says like printing something, but that's anyway, the dude. Yeah. He, he's the guy. Yeah, no, he's guy. the man. And so this car, even though the guy was from Oklahoma, he had a McMahon cage in the car. Wow. And we thought if we bought a car, we were going to get a McMahon cage. And I just kind of chat with the guy, you know, kind of not too serious with him. He's like, oh, I'm going to be at Mid Ohio. I'm coming up to the BMW Club event. I'm like, oh well. We should at least go look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And we go up and we look at the car. It was like a you know rainy October day or whatever. Car was stupid clean. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can. There's parts of the cage where I can't even put a zip tie between the cage and the body. It's pretty tight, huh? It's yeah. pretty tight. Yeah, and it, and it's just like that's like the right bones, right? And then the guy's like, "Oh yeah, and the motor's been rebuilt. Here's the dynograph, and yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just you know, there's no one to race in, in Oklahoma. I'm just getting out of it." He wanted to get rid of everything. It was, you know, at the right time of year. It was end of the season. You yeah. know, he was going to have to sit on it for six months. So he was like, okay. We talked about it on the on the drive home. When we left here, we didn't think we were getting a car. Mm-hmm. We just we were just checking them out, seeing some of the stories. But by the time we got back to Columbus an hour away, like, you know, we should probably talk to that guy and see if we can actually work down a number for that car. Mm-hmm. And we had him go run a fresh dyno just to make sure the motor was still good. And that's the car we ended up buying. Yeah. Ended up meeting him later, like in Kansas City or – okay. Somewhere halfway between here and Oklahoma, and that became the car yeah. that the three of us raced the next year. And for a couple of years, it was three of us splitting events. Mm-hmm. We used to drive in PT and Specky Thirty okay. in the same weekend. You know, two guys would do one weekend, two guys would do the next car weekend. Held, the car held up pretty good to something like that. That car is still on the same motor. Really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Six, six, six refreshes six or no? Nothing. No refresh. Wow. Nothing. Spark mm. plugs. And that's it. That's it. Oil change, spark plugs, whatever. Oil change, spark plugs. It's still making the same power? It's within two horsepower of what it was when we bought it. <laughs> that's just <laughs> day that's and ridiculous. how straight it is on the dyno. Holy cow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's nuts. And, it, and it's frequently on the podium, so it's been on the dyno a lot. Yeah. I get dynoed multiple times per year. Cool. So this car is just consistent as can be. It's been great. Wow. Has that class changed much or no? It has in different areas of the country. Yeah. Um, there's been some areas where um, some bigger money's come in. Okay. And you got some guys <laughs> <North> spending... <Cal. laughs> NorCal and Southeast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some money in Southeast as well. And you've got guys buying, you know, cars that are basically, I don't want to say pro built, but shop built. So, you know, you can build one of those cars for as little as $10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, our car came with a list of receipts and an itemized list, and it was $22,000 without the donor car. Hmm. A lot of money. So, you know, Depends on how you do it. You could probably spend a lot but, more on that too. You know, we bought it for half that. Yeah. So, you know that that's that's the way things work, and uh, you don't ever want to try and get your money out of a race car, not really, because no. it's just not going to happen. Unless you did every ounce of labor, and then you ain't get paid so, for that labor. Uh, I, I, I always <laughs> say it's the best to buy a used car if yeah. you can, but 
But I see you shaking your hand. Yeah. It's like exactly what you have to really do your due diligence. And you got to know that make car. Sure. you got to know the owner. Yes. And you, you, yeah. I know a lot of people that have turned down like what looks like a good deal on a, on a race car just due to the cage. Yes. Like the cage, that, if the cage isn't very good. And that was the thing why we bought this car, too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, even if we have to do anything else, we know we don't have to do the cage. The cage is perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, McMahon, I've, I've been in probably a half dozen cars that he's done cages on. And I can't imagine going anywhere else for a cage. I mean, I can see why people tow halfway across the country. Yeah, that's a long way from Oklahoma. It is. Yeah. Wow. But he he is the man when it comes to cages. Well, if he's a thousand bucks cheaper than everybody else, too, it's a lot of fuel. It is. Yeah. It's a lot of fuel. It pays for a lot of gas time. Yeah. Yep. Back then, he was still um, MIG welding. Yeah. I think he does TIG now, but. Um, Not really nothing wrong with MIG but, if you do it right. But you but. couldn't tell. Is that good? Really? You look at the cage in our Barely car. Any it's MIG welded. It's yeah. MIG welded, and you would swear it's a TIG car. That's cool. That's and it was cool. MIG welded. Wow. It's so small and so tight. Yeah. You'd appreciate it. I know you That's would. That's cool, man. From a fabrication standpoint. How long yeah. has he been doing cages for? Any idea? I have no idea. If you got that website, long, longer, that's longer than, You look at some pictures on there. There's some yeah. pictures probably back in the 80s. But yeah. He's certainly been doing it as long as I've been racing because I, I knew him from the I very really beginning. I really like building cages. It's I don't know if I could do it for a living, but it's fun to do once you got your head into you know what you want the final outcome to be. A lot of people just kind of start you know you know I'm gonna just buy that cage kit and I'll put it in and yep. then you I, this is what I did I cut my first cage out again and I put it in a chop top challenge car then I put another one in and now I'm gonna cut that one out and start over again. <laughs> you, you learn a lot if you just read all the threads online and look at a lot of roll cages and talk to people yeah. about theory. And a dude like that is the guy to talk to. So I actually met Jeremy from Real Cage Stuff because Jason Kohler had caged his S two thousand. Oh, that's right. And I did we the were tech here in on April it, one year. Yeah, and you did the you know the annual yeah, inspection the annual for him. Yep. Okay. So I've been doing that for um, probably about five six years as well mm-hmm. uh, for NASA. Um, you know there aren't a lot of shops in this area that do it. Yeah. And the ones that do, um, they're typically only open like nine to five yep. and if you have there. a race car that's kind of hard to get to so yeah. day off of work to yeah exactly home. people um you know like come to me because i'll do it in the evenings or the weekends yeah or sometimes i even do house calls if it doesn't you've got a car a hundred dollars at an event now they do yeah it used money. to be 50 and, and now it's a hundred yeah and they just i mean it's pretty intrusive to have a car come in and need a full thing plus they really don't want you to find out at the event that you've already paid yeah. for it makes some sense yeah. that your car is not legal yeah Yep. And I find stuff all the time, and even stuff like guys will like have a logbook full of stuff, and you look you inspect the cage, and you're like, dude, sorry, I can't sign off on this mm. car. Yeah. Interesting. See, I screwed up in 2012 at Nationals because I was running TT, and for regional TT stuff in the Midwest, they were letting you do HPD tech yep. each event. Yep. So that's what I was doing. And I rolled up here like the day of the event and you know started getting ready. And rolled up, and the guy was like, where's your annual? You know, where's your annual? You need an annual tech to go, you know, for nationals. Mm-hmm. So at that yeah. time, I think I had like $400 in my bank account. Had to spend 100 of it oh, on an annual oh, tech for that weekend. a TT car? Yeah. Those things could be stuck so just and, and the thing that sucked was that there were no more regional events. So I paid $100 to tech it one for time. that one event. Time. One time. And then that was it. One time use. Yeah. So kind of sucked. But. I love how that kind of stuff is where, you know, like... Say you've not been running SCCA and you need to go run the VIR 13 hour and you need to get a license mm-hmm. or you know a membership or something and you you're basically buying it for one time. So yeah. luckily sometimes SCCA will do stuff where you can get a weekend membership yeah. Yeah. and that's really nice. But not not a lot of organizations had that. No, I I bought, basically bought a NASA license for the one NASA race I ran in the 2015. Yeah, yeah, I was only race one last year. And now I got to figure out how to get it again. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but I don't think it'll be very hard, but. 
Um, but, you know, after racing this long, um, somewhere about there in the middle of that, I kind of got to this plateau where I was like, I wasn't really getting any faster. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was still racing a lot, but it just didn't seem like anything was changing. And that's what first got me into uh, data acquisition. Okay. I started looking for trying to figure out how to go faster, what I was doing. And once I started using data, I realized that um, even when I would get the same lap time, I wasn't necessarily doing it the same way. Okay. And so when you could start to look at the data, you're using an aim solo now, you know, yeah. you can look and you can see what you're doing in the corners and uh, you find you're not doing the stuff the same way and you start putting those pieces together mm-hmm. and going faster. And at first it just kind of started off as a, you know, a, a personal journey yeah. to try and improve. And then I started helping other people and, you know, it eventually turned into a business of selling equipment as well as doing coaching and doing all that kind of stuff. Okay. So you do a lot of coaching or no? I do coaching. I've done um, coaching, mm-hmm. you know, for Grand Am teams. I've done coaching for, you know, just you know, guys that are even not even racing yet. Yeah. Typically though, um, from a data standpoint, the data coaching tip typically works best with people that are getting either very close to racing or racing okay. because that's the point at which you can't really be that useful in the right seat of the car. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get to a driver at a certain level, being in the right seat, you just don't get the same feelings. Yeah. Like you don't have the inputs on the wheel. Yep. So like it feels a little different in the passenger seat. So it's kind of like only, I feel like there's only so far you can yeah. go. With and those are the guys looking for like a second or two instead of like six, six, yeah. seven. Right. Yeah. It's really easy when it's, you know, six seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the point at which data becomes really appropriate and you start getting a lot of benefit from it. And so, um, you know, guys, very fast HPD guys or guys, you know, transitioning to racing or guys that are racing. And I found that um, I'm an engineer, so it's easy for me to look at graphs and, go over that kind of stuff and i found that that's not universal i was like weird yeah no I, not everybody's an engineer go figure making, that's making not sense the, of squiggly lines that's yeah, not exactly. the brain i have like i have a brain of like let's take it apart and fix it but like i don't have a brain of open the computer right like uh, and so i found a lot of people like that yeah, that I just to, needed I, I need to pay you some money sometime to do that just, need, <laughs> just needed some help in terms of understanding what they got because yeah there was a lot of people running around with you know thousand dollar lap timers yeah Right, and they just thousand dollar stopwatch. Yeah, they weren't making yeah, really. use of what they had, and it's really a big step up for them to begin to learn that. And it's it's uh it's so rewarding to work with somebody like that. And just it's like, kind of like back when you started instructing, you're working with beginners, and you kind of mm-hmm. you can see the light bulb go off. Yeah, right, the first couple of it's years, a it's whole, so rewarding. Yeah, it's it's a whole other world when people start to realize what's there and really dig into what it. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know I'm. I love being around the track and racing. So when I, when I'm not on track myself, mm-hmm. it's a great way to be at the track, and uh, and help other people get faster. Is that uh, is it like a big part of your day to day work? Is uh, the fast tech stuff? Um, I wouldn't say it's a big Seems part. Like of, it's a pretty big side job. Like it is a pretty big a lot side of job. Know about it, but, but um, it depends. It kind of goes in waves. There's okay. certain times of the year that are busier than others, and then it also depends on the year in terms of if I have a. Um, some just a bunch of one-off jobs or whether it's like a, a you know a plan for the entire year. I've had seasons where there's no you know multiple event plans. Mm-hmm. I've had seasons where, you know, I've had to split them with Greg because there was too mm-hmm. many, right? Okay. We had to go and when we were doing the Grand Am stuff, right? He he did half the events, I did half the events. Yeah, you can't be gone every weekend. Yeah, because yeah. you only have so much time off to be able to go and do these types of things because mm-hmm. um trying to do that as a full-time gig yeah. is that's a that's a tough sell. You got to yeah. you got to be Ross Bentley. Yeah, there's right? not many of them. So there's, there's a very there's probably you know one handful of people that you know do that kind of stuff that yeah. you know names of. Now there's another group of guys that do it that you don't you never hear about mm-hmm. because they only do pro team stuff and yeah. they're not really in the public eye at all. Yeah. They don't publish books. They don't do that kind of stuff. But there are guys out there yeah. that do that kind of stuff. 
but they've got pretty consistent gigs with pro They're teams. They're probably booked. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know a couple of the uh, like the factory race teams like employ somebody full time as their full time job as a exactly. data, data yep. analyst. Yep, and you know it's an important thing, especially especially nowadays with the technology being well, accessible. Yeah. Can is huge. Yeah. Can is the, the you know the latest and greatest, and there's so much stuff that's over available with Can where you can you can hook up two wires mm-hmm. and get thirty channels of information. You know, it didn't. They used to be thirty sensors mm-hmm. each. You know, hundred to five hundred dollars each. Yeah, yeah sixty wires. That, and- yeah, you know. That kind of level of data that you can get now with, you know, an AIM solo DL and two wires used to be, you Those know. Are only two wires? For CAN. For CAN, yeah. And then for the oh OBD2 cars that yeah. still, you know, use OBD2, like my FRS. Yep. Tons and tons of channels of data yeah. coming yep. through there. Well, because the, um, the stuff you're talking about, like with the AIM solo DL, it only works with OBD2 CAN. Mm-hmm. So it is still using CAN. Um, some cars, a lot of Porsches for some reason... They have a different level of data available at the CAN port than they do if you actually take the two wires and tap into it. Okay. So some cars, you can just get all the information at the OBD2 port. Some you can't. Yeah. Some you can't. Yeah. And then, of course, the old school cars like yours, you got to run a sensor for yeah. everything you want to do. Yeah, 60 but wires. <laughs> it's surprising. You know, even even just a simple AIM solo, mm-hmm. you know, it's all GPS. It's all built in. It's amazing what you can get I out of it. I love how that. simple it is. You just suction and, cup it to the window. Throw it in your buddy's car for the next session. Yeah, exactly. Throw it in somebody else's that's car. The, that, to me, that's the coolest part yeah. about it is I could take it and toss it into Mike Taylor's car when I raced it. Actually, I had my a brother's car. And... I had a track mate that I used for yep. you know for probably two seasons, and then when I found out the AM Solo existed, I was like, oh, that was awesome because I had like three cars I was tracking at that time, yep. and it was a pain to take move everything all in and out each yeah. time. Yep. You had a lot of cars you yeah. were beating up one time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would definitely say that the AM Solo has really opened up data acquisition to a whole new uh, yeah. group of people. Yeah. And a lot of the organizations are using it to do a little bit of balanced performance. And yeah. Yes. yeah, when I was running NASA, I got one stuck in my car like two or three sessions. Yeah, we use it uh, yeah. in SEC. I've had it in yeah. my cars as well. Yeah. Especially at Nationals. And they're magnetic. You can just pop them right on the floor. Yep. I've not seen that done too much. Yeah. But, um, you People think that as long as it's reading, you know, um, yes, technically that's true, but there is also... Um, different levels of GPS signal quality. So right. depending on what you're trying to get out of it, right. it does sometimes pay attention to you know the signal strength in terms of what you're getting because you can get a better quality yep. signal trace. I know you can calibrate you, it too based on like how it's oriented when you're mounting it and stuff like correct. that. There's a lot of small setup stuff yes. that you know yep. you can really get into. But you know, there's a bunch of different Nerds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different data acquisition companies and yeah. each of them have strong suits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've worked with a lot of them. And, you know, um, continue to work with a lot of them. And each company has areas where they have, um, you know, their strong suit. So some people are very influenced by video. Yeah. Right? They want a video system. So there's systems that are kind of more video with data as opposed to data with video. Where, like, video is the prime component. Um, you know, you can do that with a, um, a RaceKeeper system. You can do that with a AIM Solo and a, you know, Smarty Cam. And you can do it with a race technology uh, video four, and you can put four cameras on it. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do stuff. But so that's um, why I think you know I have a website, of course, but I don't do um, online ordering mm-hmm. because everybody's case is different, yeah. and people don't really know what they need necessarily. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do, right? But a lot of times. After talking to them, you steer them in a different direction yeah. because, hey, you know, that's not really – you think you want that because someone so-and-so told you that, but really this would be better for you in your case mm-hmm. or your car because this company has all the CAN codes for your car, Okay, right? This company doesn't. If you go with this company, 
you have to wire a bunch of sensors yourself. You go with this company, you get 30 channels of information for free. They want to buy you know a name I mean? solo from him. He calls me up. I'm like, I just want to send you money, man. They <laughs> wanted to make sure it was the right thing for me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, that, uh, that's probably a good way to run a, a side business is try to provide the best product for something. Well, it's the best I, way. I, yeah. I, away from the track, I wouldn't call myself a people person. Yeah. But when I'm at the track, I'm kind of a people person. Okay. Because track people are different. They're not yeah. the, the general consumer, yeah. right? I have not a lot of patience for the general consumer. But track that. people are kind of different people. They're kind of my people. Yep. And so I like helping people. And, you know, that you know I help you with the data system. And then, you know, a month down the road, hey, I need this for my race car. Do you have this mm-hmm. race car? I can get it. So, it, you know, it started with data acquisition and kind of blossomed into other things, you know, track prep stuff, whether it's, you know, race belts, race seats, mm-hmm. helmets, brake pads, you know, Stuff that people need for taking their cars to the track. Yeah. And people like to work with somebody they know, somebody they trust, somebody to give them a recommendation, mm-hmm. someone who's tried a lot of different things. And that's a you know a valuable uh, viewpoint to a lot of people. Yeah, that's kind of where we are with HPDE people. Like, yeah. what do we do with this? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Let's ask a racer friend. <laughs> yeah. you got to have that hierarchy of knowledge. Yeah. You know? um, just this week, I had a conference call with the um, a couple of chapters here in the Ohio PCA. Mm-hmm. And they are starting to talk about how to bring data acquisition into their DE program. So there's two events this year, one in May and one in June. Uh, we're working with uh, AIM. Mm-hmm. AIM's going to help supply some of those same solos that they use for the compliance at the NASA events. Uh-huh. They're going to bring those to the PCA event. Oh, cool. Which is kind of a you know a new and different thing for PCA. So we're going to try and do a couple things and see how it works using solos in students' cars. Okay. Um, and in advanced students, you know, solo students and with the instructors. And the idea there is not to necessarily focus on lap times like you would when you're racing and stuff. In fact, we'll probably Mount stick it somewhere the you solos can't see it. in a non-visible area right. just to record the data and not focus on lap times, but to focus on looking at individual corners or groups of corners yeah, yeah. and show what, show them what they're doing. They may not realize what they're doing. And maybe the instructor, when they're still right seating with somebody, can have the data to then back up what they're feeling yeah, or showing the students because here, yeah. some some people get overloaded in the car they start not listening mm-hmm. you can go back after and say here this is what i was telling you here it is in the data you can see you were doing this you were letting off and coasting or whatever it is but again it's got to be for the right type of student not it's not something that's i think applicable for yeah. everybody right. but it'll be interesting to explore that because that's kind of a that's kind of a new thing you don't really see any clubs using data acquisition um, for normal HPDE. Yeah, now it's becoming a little bit more accessible, so that's plus. It is, you know. Um, yeah, with a solo being four hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hard if you if you do this kind of stuff on any regular basis, it's hard to not justify. It's yeah. one of the best something. investments that it you is. can really it's, make. It's, it is the gateway drug. Yeah. All right.